me, I've got a lot to say. What the fuck do I know? If you wanna walk away, where the hell would you go? Gonna make today a good, good day. Loving is a godsend. But I just want to explain how draconian this law is, this 2098 in the state of California. Literally, it would be the case that if you were about, if I was evaluating a patient, let's say you come in, you're my patient, and you come in and you say, uh, the CDC is recommending that I get this new Omicron um, vaccine, this bivalent vaccine. Uh, I'm concerned because what I'm reading suggested it was only studied on mice. And if I say anything other than standard, um, uh, what, what would it be? Standard uh, empty slogans as specified by the academic and the bureaucratic structure, which would be you're over 60 years old. It's recommended that you get this booster. If I said, follow the proto, if I said, for instance, 
Uh, you're right. It was studied on mice. Um, I'm probably going to recommend it to my patients over 65, certainly over 75. I think it's worth the risk. Uh, there is aniseed very, very similar vaccines in influenza. And this is sort of how we do it with influenza every year. We don't test it necessarily in humans every year. So it's a, there's a protocol out there. But if you were 30 years old, I would say, you know, there was just a uh, study that came out in circulation last this week that suggested that in men under 40, the risk of myocarditis is five times higher from the Moderna vaccine than from COVID itself. Right there. That would qualify as misinformation, even though it's factually accurate. It's a merely me discussing what's available in the medical literature with my patient. Let's say that patient was angry for some reason. That patient could make an anonymous complaint to the state. And he or she could go home and go, you know what, mom and dad and uh, brother and sister, you guys, I'd like you to make the complaint too. Here's here's what my complaint is. Uh, why don't you modify a little bit? I heard something you said in the public the other day I didn't like either. So add that to it. Each one of those complaints would be dealt with as though a police report had been filed for a criminal action. It will require a full response with citations and will take months and months and may require hiring an attorney for each case. That is what they are doing. It is absolutely out of control. Now, I'm sure they're going to say, oh, no, no, we'd never use it like that. Of course they don't intend it. That's how these laws have unintended effect. It will be absolutely chilling on the practice of medicine. It will become almost impossible to practice medicine the way we are trained to, which is to use our objective reasoning, to share our ideas with our patients, and to come up with the best possible recommendation for that particular patient for that particular circumstance. Doctors, are you listening? That was Dr. Drew's analysis of a bill that's ready to be signed into law in California right now. Welcome to the FLCCC Weekly Update. I'm Betsy Ashton. I'm the creative director of this alliance of doctors and scientists and people who value scientific truth. Stay with us because tonight we have some fun for you as well as all the serious business. An amazing video is coming up at the very end with a hit rock song by the group that you just heard, one of the new songs, a hit rock song. And we will see if you can recognize one of the dancers in it. And you're going to get your chance, believe it or not, to ask questions to two real rock stars. No kidding. No kidding. But first, let's get down to the serious business. Pierre and Paul, you're with us tonight. What do you think of that bill in California? What, what can be done about that? Well, Paul, I'm going to lead off, sir. You okay. do so. Right. You're the leader. So, yeah. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> I'm a follower. Um, no, I, I want to just emphasize one of the last points that Dr. Drew just made, which, you know, I've long recognized as one of kind of one of the inspirations and challenges of medicine, which is that you really have to craft a therapy and guidance around the individual clinical situation, taking into account numerous variables. You know, I, I have a degree in mathematics, so I have this affinity for like solving problems. And I've always loved medical problems because it's not the same answer for every patient all the time. It never has been and it never will be. And to pretend that a federal bureaucrat in Washington says do this for everyone all the time is so patently absurd 
as a physician who's been practicing for a couple of decades, it's, I would say laughable. It's not laughable. It's terrifying. But when you give guidance to a patient, you take into account their comorbidities, their natural immunity, the evolving data around efficacy and toxicity. And that's the thing, is the data is evolving and it evolves way faster than the bureaucratic recommendations. And so to pretend to try to be a doctor in California under those restrictions is absurd. Patients will get hurt. Doctors will be afraid. If they're not afraid and they're actually courageous, they stand to lose their license. And so I I just cannot imagine a worse bill than this. And and I I can't imagine a doctor, a real doctor, one who knows what it's like to practice medicine and appreciates the challenges of providing guidance and care to patients would ever sign on to a bill like that. I mean, this is a new record in, in absurdity. We know that censorship throughout history has done nothing but harm to everyone and everything. And, and, and to invent a bill, which is essentially censoring doctors' opinions and oftentimes expert opinions, is, is, is so horrifically damaging. And I, I don't know, Paul, you want, what do you want? And to I mean, I think you said, oh, why don't we get to our video and then we can ask our guests what they think of the absurdity. Sure. I mean, how low can you go? Um, well, we we have to just let's show the folks who is with us tonight right there. Give a wave. We are lucky wave. to have at a ridiculously <laughs> late hour in the UK it is. with us. We know them as right, said Fred, but Fred and Richard Fairbross. Thank <laughs> you for joining us and being willing to take questions and talk to our audience. After Good evening. This interview. We're yeah, glad you. to have you. Yeah, they're, they're great heroes. You know, they they understand the issues. They're with us. They're standing up for the tyranny, and we all in this together. So we friends. We friends together. We all happen to be exactly. pretty sexy, but that's besides <laughs> the point. I think that's true. I'm not so going to argue with that. Us, Paul, some of us. <laughs> Yeah. I want to tell the audience, we have nurses that are going to be taking medical questions throughout the program in the Q&A, if you type text it in Q&A, but you're going to be asked, able to ask about music later too, you know, but first you want to listen to this super interview that Fred and Richard gave to Paul and Pierre the other day about COVID and the music world. Listen. We in the FLCCC are just uh, extremely pleased to uh, to invite his guests um, uh, for a chat. Um, uh, Fred and Richard uh, Fairbross of uh, the famous group, uh, Right Said Fred. Um, I'm sure most people in the world know uh, their music and, and the group. And, um, you know, uh, we have found, uh, I believe, what we're going to talk about is a natural affinity uh, to being keyed in on, on all that's gone on in COVID. And yeah. And having been very active, trying to call attention to really the lies and the fraud, and and unfortunately the damage, right? Uh, the mortality yes. morbidity resulted from yeah. all of it. And and you know we come from two different spheres uh, of you know of our professions, but um, it doesn't matter. We both speak truth, and and we, we're just so pleased to have you guys on and and it's talk about you know what what it's like on your side, what you're seeing, what you're okay. doing, and. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's just great to have this collaboration. So we really appreciate you guys coming on. And also, Pleasure. I do want to thank you. That little video that you shot, you know, to motivate us at our annual retreat. It was such a pleasure. <laughs> Going away by that. I mean, it just started the day off so beautifully. So we, we thank you guys for your support. We're just so happy to have you on. It's Thanks. a pleasure. Thank pleasure. you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah, so it's great to have you. 
both Richard and Fred. You, you guys are really yeah. very sexy. And you know what, Pierre and, <laughs> Pierre and yourselves, as you'll see, are not that far apart, as we'll see towards the end. Mm. Um, we discovered some very interesting um, footage in the archives. Oh, my God. Yeah, you, you guys, it's, it's uh, going to be a little surprise. You, you guys are going to do this. Just so that people know, basically, my t- shirt is medical censorship kills. Kills, and, absolutely right, yeah. and it does. And that's what we're going to be talking with uh, Fred and Richard about, the corruption, the lies and deceit. And unfortunately, you know, it's killed, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. Yes, so maybe we, we can start with Richard and Fred and just tell us, you know, your thoughts on this terrible fraud and corruption that's taken over the world. Um, and, you know, what, what, what your thoughts are and, you know, what we can do and, you know, how, how you became alerted to the fact of this massive deceit and corruption we're facing. Yeah, um, I, I want to hear the beginning. Like, tell us, like, when did you know something was really wrong? And, and okay. when did you start, you know, to mobilize and, and, and start to call it out? Well, Fred, Fred was on the was uh, before me. I thought the whole thing was chaos and bad decision making and and useless politicians. Fred was much more con- not conspiratorial, but he saw through it before I did. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I went down. I hate the expression the rabbit, rabbit, rabbit hole, hole, but I use it for now. I went down the rabbit hole in about twenty twenty or nineteen ninety nine. Care of Alex Jones and the Bohemian um, Grove, Grove uh, fiasco. So I was alerted to this alternative narrative for quite a long time, some of which I believed and some of which I didn't, um, but I was aware that it was there. The minute this, uh, I was also aware of Event 21 in 2019, aware of Lockstep in 2010. And so, and I've been doing some podcasts with other people, being being their guests, Richie Allen and Dollar Vigilante and a few guys like that. and then when it started in March 2020, I suddenly remembered, well, this is what people have been saying. This feels horribly predicted. Um, we, I was staying at Richard's at the time. He lives close to Heathrow Airport. The UK went into lockdown, but we still got tons of planes in the sky. It was mad. So yeah. I thought, well, this is a funny old lockdown. So <laughs> we, yeah. So we drove up to Heathrow, which is obviously a huge, it's not like a local airport, it was a massive oh, international oh, airport. Yeah. We went up to arrivals at Terminal 5. It was very, very busy. Lots of flights in from um, you know Singapore, Beijing, all around the world, and we thought, well, that if the if you if this was real and you're locking down a country, you would particularly an island, you would actually you know all all borders would be closed. Um, so that wasn't happening. And then we went up to a protest. We thought, let's go see what's going on there. That was a few weeks later, April, May, something like that, 2020. And then we were surprised how many people were there, and we weren't the only ones thinking mm, this doesn't smell right. Mm. And 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 for me, I think then for both of us, it felt horribly wrong when we suddenly felt it was just bullying. It wasn't. It wasn't look after your immune system. It wasn't take vitamin D. It wasn't get outside and exercise. It wasn't you know stop you know, smoking or something. No, it, it it was all to do with. It was all to separation, division, coercion, mandates, and I just thought this this isn't right. I also, mean, also it was, you know. yeah. Also, the the minute I heard several world leaders um, reiterate the build back better thing in their speeches, as if somebody made a call and said, "You can say what you like, say what you like about you know social care and the rest of it, 
as long as you get these three words in your speech, we're fine. And then you had the, the, the perennial idiot, Boris Johnson, talking about build back better in a more feminine way. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. And, yeah. and you know what I mean? What's, what I thought was odd was one minute we are at an, and it's the same in America, I'm sure, re, you know, encouraged to regard politicians as deeply suspicious people. That, you, that, they are, that we are, it's not a good idea to trust them automatically. You have to be, keep your eyes open and retain a, a certain level of cynicism with every politician. Yep. And yet when it was came to COVID, we were expected to treat them as the fountains of all truth. Yeah. That they were completely infallible. It's it so a, strange. It, it you was, know, it, it is, yeah. I could understand you know, it. When you say that, it makes me think of like, you know, so I, I'm most of my life, I was a liberal. I literally read the New York Times every day, believed every word it said. I didn't <laughs> really know about narratives, but you guys are talking, you know, that synchronized messaging. Mm. You know, yes. I started to recognize it. You saw it. And now I can identify narratives. I, and, and I'm actually, I wish I didn't because I'm seeing yeah. almost everything as a narrative now. But, <laughs> but no, you, you're absolutely right. But that, that skepticism, just even towards politicians, to me, the most mm. shocking was suddenly we were looking to CEOs of pharmaceutical companies as the fountain of wisdom and guidance. I was like, yeah. we're not supposed to trust pharmaceutical companies. Why are we suddenly like looking to pharma to save us? And it's, yes. I, it's yeah. so strange. It was very, very strange. And we thought, yeah, there was a, uh, there's a David Davis stood up in the House of Commons and he um, asked Johnson when he was PM uh, a question about vitamin D. And, and Johnson said, I think his response was something like, we're looking into it. But as Fred says, there was never any. This was, it seemed to me an open goal for the opposition, particularly when we have a, it's same true as America, you have a, an issue with obesity, say. Yep. So this whole healthy lifestyle thing was a moment when any politician with a nose could have got into it and talked about reducing your smoking, reducing your drinking, looking after yourself, getting some exercise. But they didn't do that. No, they didn't do that. What they did was they did exactly what Fauci wanted them to, which is go straight to the pharmaceuticals, you know, and and go for the needle. That was the thing. I'm reading Robert Kennedy's um, The Truth About Anthony Fauci thing. And what's interesting about that is the way this playbook was set up in in the 80s with HIV. Was, and what yeah. we're watching now and have been watching is exactly the same. It's identical. You, you know, I'll talk just a little medical aspect with the, the two similarities is that in the 1980s, when, you know, most of the um, uh, people with uh, with AIDS were dying of a disease called uh, back then it was called PCP pneumonia. Yeah. And, you know, it actually looks very similar to the pulmonary phase of, of COVID. I mean, they're very, <laughs> very similar appearing. They got these ground glass opacities. And yeah. back then, they knew that Bactrim and steroids were yeah. really effective at treating it. And yet there was no, yeah. it, there was almost resistance to that because they wanted to get some pharma drugs out there. And you saw yeah. the same, like you said, the same playbook here. And, and just, Ooh. if you guys know this, when the FLCC started, we first only worked on a hospital protocol and we were really, we knew steroids were critical and life-saving and we were pushing for that. And you didn't see I mean, it was like it was almost being resisted and so many people died just simply from lack of the correct treatments, which we knew what they were well yeah. before they were recommended. And but you're right. The playbook is the same. And, and the it way is, the farming yeah. exactly. agencies behave, it's exactly the same. They want to preserve the market for their pricey pills and potions. Of course. Uh, exactly. exactly. Right. And I, 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 my partner who died about 12 years ago was HIV. We were together for a long, long time, but he was HIV for most of that time. And um, when DDL came out and AZT came out and all that stuff, 
I remember how we felt about that. And we felt we were convinced that the people behind those drugs were doing their level best to save lives. And it is actually really depressing now to read the truth that actually when Stuart was taking this stuff and DDL came in, a, it was a sort of thick, salty water that he had to drink. It wasn't doing anything. And yeah. the people who were pro 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 um, providing this stuff and selling it to us knew that it wouldn't do anything. Um, and so I, I, I'm, really, I'm much more resentful now than I ever was before. Because I think back to the way Stuart felt and looking to these drugs as a kind of, as a, as a hopeful, like a light at the end of the tunnel, the truth was the people pushing it knew that it wasn't. And that yeah. is, uh, it's, a, it's a very, very dispiriting um, realization. Yeah. yeah. You know, what you were saying about lifestyle change is just so important. And it's been completely dismissed and yes. um, not discussed because we know the single biggest risk factor for getting COVID, dying of COVID is obesity. Yeah. And yeah. obesity and the addiction to sugar and glucose is the, is the biggest um, killer. And we know that, you know, a high sugar diet does really bad things to the immune system. And then, yes. as you mentioned, vitamin D, I mean, vitamin D is such an important compound to prevent uh, patients getting COVID and dying from COVID. Yeah. And it's, it's so it's so cheap, ineffective and safe. And it's astonishing. It's astonishing how it's been ignored. And obviously, the reason is, is that nobody makes money from exactly. selling and promoting <laughs> vitamin D. That's right. you, you just think about how simple lifestyle interventions, which are so common sense, you know, could have made such a really big impact in this disease, but no one wants to talk about it. Even to no. this day, even to mm. this day, it gets completely ignored. I, so, I want to go uh, further than that, Paul. Vitamin D, it's not that it's being ignored. What we've come to understand is the entire pharmaceutical business model is really dependent on suppressing, distorting, and, and really lying about repurposed drugs. You cannot exactly, have yeah. natural or cheap or generic solutions. And to be honest, vitamin D has been under attack by the pharmaceutical industry for decades. In, in fact, all of the medical literature is polluted with studies in which they altered the dose, the timing, and the duration to show yeah. that it doesn't work. And so you, you read these review papers where they look at all the trials over decades, and they all conclude it doesn't work for this, that, and the other thing, without recognizing that so many of those trials have been doctored and, and distorted. And so yeah. vitamin D is, is was like, and they know how important vitamin D is to our health in many yes. different diseases. And yeah. They will never recommend vitamin D. No, so you, no. you know what? I'm going to take that even one step further. So you can tell what are all the effective drugs or, or, or interventions for COVID by looking at those pharmaceuticals or nutraceuticals that are being attacked by the federal government and its agencies because they don't want people to know. And it's across the board. It's vitamin D. They disparage it. Most yeah. recently, they're going after melatonin. <laughs> With the most absurd and ridiculous yeah. accusations. Povidone is, iodine, Paul. Povidone iodine in the nose. They've attacked that. Yeah. <laughs> so ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. So every single intervention that's absolutely safe and effective, they go after. Because exactly. they don't want people to know the truth. And exactly. it's, it's an outrage. So you can actually tell what, what is effective because those are the substances or, or drugs or interventions that are being that are under attack 
because yeah. they 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 don't want anything to challenge their narrative of safe and effective. They yeah. just don't want anything to challenge well, if, that. You're right. If it wasn't effective, they wouldn't have to spend a lot of time attacking it because yeah. you know it wouldn't really be adopted. I mean, every time we we say to use something that works, we don't do it because it doesn't work. We know what works, and so yeah, but. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I, if you read about, I've been was reading about Sir Peter McCulloch and his early efforts to get cheap repurposed drugs um, 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 recognized as treatments, and it was just like, and he, I remember him saying in this in this uh, book, that he, they they got the, the results they were looking for. It was incredibly effective. He thought he was going to be this big hero. Him and his colleagues, there'd be it would be shouted from the rooftops. He said he wasn't prepared for the complete shutdown mm. of all the efforts he made. To, to, to establish the fact that repurposed cheap drugs, readily available drugs, will do it. My partner, Stuart, he, I remember very, very clearly, I can't remember what drugs he was on, but he, he was on, it was when the triple therapy came on uh, yep. towards, the, towards the end of the 90s. And his consultant came in, I can't remember what, what Stuart was on, but the consultant said, if you don't take these drugs, the, this combination therapy will save your life. And if you don't take it, I will never treat you again. Oh. Yeah, and he, but he was right. It did. It, Stuart, I think he weighed about 56 kilograms at that time. And then a year later, we were on holiday. So it mm. made a huge difference. Yeah, Whereas the AZT and the BDL and all that stuff he was taking prior did nothing at all. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, apart from making him anemic, you know? Yeah. One other thing, just Paul brought up the vaccines. And, and Fred, you know, I'm impressed that you were already aware going into this of those simulation exercises and what yes, they was, did, yeah. you know, I because was, yeah. I only learned about them later, but when you read them, yeah. you see language that the enemy in the pandemic response is vaccine hesitancy. They it knew, they, they had a whole plan to combat vaccine hesitancy and this demonizing of the unvaccinated, I don't know if it was part of the plan, but it's certainly the consequence of what they did to push vaccines. And, yeah. and so yes. many people suffered. They lost their livelihoods. They couldn't travel. Yeah. Their families. I mean, yeah. when, when families started not inviting their cousins, yeah. their children, uh-huh. their parents to, to, to Thanksgiving or, 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 you know, Christmas holidays. I mean, uh-huh. it, it's, it's absolutely astounding what happened. It is. It, it is. is. I mean, we, we had it um, with our work we, because we suddenly got, um, we were sort of thrown into the spotlight because we had an opinion. We, mm. didn't, re- we didn't realize being an artist with an opinion was going to be such a her- <laughs> such a problem, <laughs> such, such a her- heretical act. We didn't realize that being a doctor with an opinion would be no, well. Exactly. Also similarly exactly. Hundred percent. Exactly the same. So, so we, um, we we became victim to that thought a little bit, and and even just today there was um, in um, um, from what I read in Australia in Queensland. Uh, unva- unvaccinated teachers are getting 18 weeks of, um, of of pay cuts, which is just extraordinary. Mm. And this this has, as you say, this is just a war on. Um, on it, it, well, it, yes, it's a war on the unvaccinated, and to create that create that division. Sadly, there are lots of vaccinated people out there who think who think that is justified. They well, will the, they will support that position. The, the most the most extraordinary thing is when you have people who are triple vaxxed or they've had four or five, however many, then they get COVID. And then they say, thank heavens for the vaccination. Otherwise, it would have been a lot worse. It's like... By the way, Richard, that is synchronized. So I saw on Twitter, someone put put up like um, a a graph of the tweets of like 16 major public figures who had been, you know, quadruple boosted, got COVID. (laughs) Every single one of them had the same sentence. Thank God I'm back. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so mild. It's, I, uh, it's absolutely shocking. I, 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 you I, know, know. I couldn't. Uh, 
I, 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 I find it, I think for a lot of people, there's a neighbor of ours who's a really sweet guy. Um, but, uh, and he's, he's uh, had the booster, you know, two, two vaccines and well, three vaccines really. And, um, He's, but he's beginning to smell, wake up and smell the coffee, but he, he still can't quite bring himself to believe that the government don't care about him. He's really struggling with that thought. What do you mean they don't care? So they don't care about you, man. They don't care about your job. They don't care about your house. They don't care about your kids. You're just an inconvenience. He can't quite get his. He can't quite get to grips with well, that, I, I th- and I think quite a few people are struggling with that realization. Yeah, I think it's. You know, people I think have been. You know, we've disagreed with politicians on social care, on defence spending, or whatever it is. But broadly speaking, I think over the, over the years, even when you disagree with the political class or a, a particular party, you fundamentally believe that they're on your side. At the, at the, the, the default position is they're on your side. What I think COVID has done is made people many people wake up to the fact that actually that is not true. It's become absolutely clear that these agencies who should be working for us are indeed not working for the people, (laughs) but they're working for big pharma and this industrial complex. But you know what? If you look at the FDA, the corruption goes back 20 years or even more. It's just that COVID has exposed this, this terrible corruption and deception that's yeah. happening so yeah, i do have another question for you guys all right. none of I, I see none of you are wearing a mask which is somewhat curious because <laughs> we know masks are really highly effective in, yeah, very effective <laughs> yeah so what do you think about masks because you know you look at masks and social distancing and first of all social distancing is an oxymoron because Absolutely. how can you be social and if you are distant I yeah, mean, yeah. So, what yes. do you guys think about this complete uh, perversion of what we've been exposed to? Well, a lot of the language has been like a word salad, isn't it? It's been they just put words together. I mean, you know, this as well as anybody. When we listen to people like Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi, they just seem to get a bunch of words, put them together, and hope that they make some they make some sort of sentence. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, we had the same over here, obviously with Johnson. But my position with mask was I'm sort of. I'll be honest with you. On the one hand, I try to be tolerant. You want to wear a mask, wear a mask. On the other hand, I think it's a it's, it's a visual manifestation of compliance yes. and servitude. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'll be honest with you, I'm a bit, Richard's not conflicted. He thinks they suck. And <laughs> and I agree with him, but I'm trying to be, I'm trying to kind of be tolerant. And if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. But I also do have a problem with them because I thought it's proven they're bloody useless. Um, and... Um, uh, and, and so, therefore, the only its only job is is for you to be compliant and and part. Of, I mean, that you believe the narrative. Yeah, the most I, amazing. I, yeah, I've come around to what you just like. In the beginning, I thought it was just prudent and pragmatic. You know, we need to protect ourselves. But yeah. as the science has emerged, you know, on those standard masks and N95s yeah. are a different different issue. But I agree. It's it's so bizarre now when I look at someone like outside in the street wearing a mask, I, I feel instantly really bad for them. I'm like, wow, yeah, I, know. I, I wish I, know. I could help them. Yeah. <laughs> this idiotic compliance yes. of a nonsensical intervention. So I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I, I, sorry to frankly, a friend of mine went into a shop, wasn't allowed in because he didn't have a mask on. He had a jumper on, pulled the jumper up over his nose. They let him in. I mean, are, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's astonishing how non-medical people can actually see the truth. The question Ooh. is, how, how do your fellow musicians, you know, <laughs> perceive you and think of you? 
We are not well. Not well, no. <laughs> Join the uh, club, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been quite lonely. There's only yeah. there's only about a handful of people that have been quite vocal. Yeah. The bizarre thing of what happens to us is that we get messages from musicians um, saying, you know, keep up the good work. And then literally the following weekend, they're uh, they're playing a festival that's that's vaccine only or has or, or you need a PCR test. So on the one hand, they're telling us to crack on, good stuff. And the next minute, they're, they're, they're doing that. So <clears throat> there's a huge hypocrisy. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think... With, I have a degree of sympathy with smaller bands. Cash flow is much tighter. You know, for a lot of bands, they, they we're very lucky with our, our writing royalties. They've just about saved our bacon in the last two and a half years. But lots of musicians don't have that. But if you're Springsteen or Paul McCartney, you do have that. They could they could just say, actually, I'm playing to whoever the fuck I want when I want. Yeah. And, and, it, and they don't need promoters. They don't need agents. They can even tell the venues to go and do one because they're Paul McCartney and Bruce Springsteen. And, and there are lots of other examples of that. So I find those people very curious. I don't know why they've been so dogmatic. Well, it doesn't make any sense. No, we were asked the other day uh, when we did a, a thing on GB News in the UK um, as to why in the 60s you had people like Joan Byers and Bob Dylan and all that lot talking about the Vietnam War and the race whites and everything. And pop, the pop culture was at the, at the very forefront of kicking up the dust at that it time. Was, yeah. And generally speaking, with one or two notable exceptions, it's been silence. From, from the yeah. industry. And we've, um, on, on some of the demos, I emailed the, the Musicians' Union some time ago because it, I've never seen any of them on a march, no flags, nothing. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I emailed them and said, you know, a lot of your members are now suffering really badly as a consequence of lockdown and quarantine and all that stuff. They can't earn a living. Shouldn't you be out there, you know, standing up for Give them a voice. Yeah, yeah, giving them a voice. And they, they came back with the... Yes, we, we agree with you. We're working behind the scenes. Oh, of course yeah. they are. Of course they are. They're you right. know, there's, there's a quote. You know. I, I, I think it's virtue untested is no virtue at all. At right? all. Absolutely. Like, yes. you know, so to say crack on, like you said, but then not, <laughs> not actually to, show yeah. up, speak out, you know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. It's not I, virtuous. I, yeah, it's, not, mean, it, it's, it's really curious that these, you know, um, very powerful musicians and Ooh. artists and and you know, actors, you know, haven't stood up and spoken the truth because yeah. no, no. I think I think they would have enormous influence and credibility. They I would. suspect they're just too scared. They used to. I mean, the, the, the exactly. of music in the modern exactly. era. I mean, they were always. I wouldn't say they were a protest movement, but they led a lot of positive societal change and calling attention yeah. to wrong yeah. and, yeah. and how to correct it. And now. They all want to preserve their paychecks and careers, and they don't yeah. want to hurt yeah. their public image. Is that what it is? I, 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 I saw. There's a video by Paul McCartney, about a year old now, and he just he was it was to camera, and he's wagging his finger, and he just said, "Be be cool, take the vax." Yeah. Like, what? What? You're not a you're not a doctor. You're not anything. What? Are, you're just you're a musician who's worked got lots of money, and you think you have the nerve to tell me how to what I should do with my own body? And instantly enough, this whole my body, my choice thing. Which was the which was the calling card during the abortion, the abortion uh, debate? Right. That has gone completely out the window. <laughs> I mean, really. the the irony and hypocrisy is absolutely it's astounding staggering. on that, yeah, right? It, it is, and, and I've seen yeah. those interviews with these people who are like, you know, marching for abortion and freedom <laughs> yep. of choice for their bodies, and then they're yeah. like. Are you for vaccine mandates? They're like, absolutely. Well, <laughs> well there was a, Emma Thompson famously had my body, my choice written on her arms. 
at a, at a, a abortion um, discussion or rally, whatever it was. Right. And um, then the very, you know, a year later or two years later, she's going into a um, some event, some film event, and she's telling people to get the vaccine. It's like, well, hang, well, well, you, if you want to take the vaccine, I totally get that. That's your choice. But when people start pointing the finger at me and say, you do as I do, and I don't care who you are, I have a massive issue with yeah, that. The, the, also, one of the big, <coughs> one of the biggest letdowns for me uh, I'm sure it's the same in the States, is that no political leader stood up and they can talk about the vax, they can talk about the efficacy or otherwise of the vax. The fundamental truth is you should have a choice. It's your body, you should have a choice and you should have an informed choice. So the minute they started recommending the you know, vaccination of children, you knew that they didn't care. Yeah. You knew that being informed was not the issue. And yeah. for, so you know, people rattle on about Johnson, though, isn't he? Johnson is a complete disappointment because he never once stood up and talked about fundamental democratic principles, freedom of yeah. choice, freedom of dissent, all that stuff. And in our country as well, I would say I would call out Senator Johnson for being the, the one federal legislator, you know, a senator here who, who really started to call attention to how this was going right. wrong from very early on. You know, yeah, yeah, when, yeah. when I gave my test, I, I testified twice in this hearings, one on the need for corticosteroids and then, you know, the one on ivermectin. And, you know, he when he called me in like early April of 2020 and he asked me because uh, he'd heard about the FLCCC and he called mm. me only because I was I was from Wisconsin. Otherwise, I'm sure right. I would have called Paul. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, he said he said to me very early on, he says, I don't understand why there's no treatment guidance on how to treat mm. this disease. And he said, I want the doctors to take their gloves off. And so he yeah. wanted to give a, a voice to doctors to to give advice and and, yeah. and insights into treatment. And so but he he's 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 a very rare politician to have done yes. that. Most everyone yeah. just been quiet and just promoted mm. whatever the narrative is. Fundamentally. Yeah. Fundamentally, if there's a risk, there has to be consent and there has to be, you know, it, you know, it has to be an informed decision. There has to be choice. Yeah. Yeah. And we know these vaccines are toxic and kill people. So if you want to be vaccinated, that's your choice. But yeah. it's a fundamental human right. You should, if there's risk, there should be choice and there should be consent. And, you know, we've been treated. This is the biggest medical experiment ever conducted. And yeah. this is no different what happened in Nazi Germany. Yeah. And, you know, it's an outrage. Well, I was, I was reading last night about the, um, the thalidomide affair in the 50s. And I can't remember her name, but there was one, there was one particular doctor. And she was under enormous pressure to, um, to give the okay for the, de the development mm. of thalidomide. Can't remember her name. And she was under enormous pressure to do that, but she felt deep in her gut that this, there was something not right about it. Yeah. And she was right. She was right. But I have to say, if, if that lady was alive now, so a, a, another lady in her position now, they might, they might, not, have, they might not have the nerve to do that. Mm. There'd be so much pressure so, on that person. I mean, Richard, the, um, the, when you look at, I, I don't know if you guys follow this deeply, but when you look at the mm. recent vote that came before two committees, one at the FDA, one the CDC, for toddlers, yeah. and if you actually look at the data for the vaccine efficacy and safety for toddlers, it's astounding. There's nothing. There's right, nothing right. there. Yet unanimous, like 22 to zero and 21 to zero. And you yeah. come to find out that the, the, the women the, the, with integrity and courage to actually put a no vote, that's not how the system's structured. To get on those committees, you're a yes man. 
or a yes right. woman. And you, you yeah. don't get onto those committees unless Without. you play well. And, right. and, and yes. we, we need to restructure the, the, the so mm. we need more independent folks whose careers, livelihoods don't depend on a yes vote that yes. can actually yeah. objectively, you know, act on integrity and really scientific judgment. And mm. we have to change the system and the structure. It's, but that, 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 that men's mindset applies to lots of you talking about why musicians aren't talking out, uh, speaking out because the industry has changed a huge amount. Uh, first of all, there's not the money there was. Record companies will tell you there is, but there actually isn't. Um, and the money that is available is going to the very, like the 1%. Yep. And, and musicians who used to make a pretty good living are now having to you know, think outside the box, if you like, or restructure how they work. And I think a lot of the a lot of the major label artists are, are compromised. They're, you only get signed to a label if you're a pretty compliant person, generally speaking. They aren't going to go and sign people who are difficult because why would they when there's so many other options, you know? Um, and the idea that record, record labels are full of music lovers, that, that notion's gone. They're full of number crunchers and... Uh, People who are worried about their quarterly target figures, yeah. and not and not worried about their artists, which is why a lot of music is so bland. A lot of it sounds the same. Yeah. Um, but that's that's the, that, that's the kind of nature of the business at present. Is it? Is it do you think in the future, in the future there has to be there have to be? Well, it seems to me inevitable. <laughs> there has to be some questions about the degree to which giant pharmaceuticals call the tune over politicians. The, the mixing of medical, vast, vast sums of money. I mean, I'm reading about this Fauci stuff and the money, not just, you know, federal money that he was just splurging out to all various CDC and the FDA and everybody else. Um, so the, it seems to me that that area of the connection between big money and, and, and drugs and treatment has to be has to be questioned. We have to look at that. Otherwise, I, I try to be optimistic in what you're you know? saying. Like I, I do, I still naively believe that we can change the system. But when I think about the system, it's so ingrained and fixed. Like every single federal politician gets huge money from pharma. And now yeah, we're going to, yeah. we're going to rely on them to change the system of pharmaceutical influences. <laughs> yep, it's, yeah. it's, it's where do you start? I mean, you have to drop a bomb and then build a new house. I, I don't, I don't know how to fit. It's just, no, no. You're absolutely I'm, right though. You're absolutely right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm reading Marcia Engel's book and, and a really fascinating fact that in the fortune 500 companies, the yeah. top 10 pharmaceutical companies, had greater profit, the 10, than the 490 other Fortune <laughs> 500 companies. Right. That is that is how much money these corrupt pharmaceutical companies make. They mm. have such enormous money. They have such enormous power. And mm. really, they control politicians. They control the narrative and yeah. the press. Richard and Fred, can I ask you how you found out about the FLCC? Oh yeah, uh, we um, FLC. That, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I was alert. I came across it through Tess Laurie. Oh, you know Tess? Well, no, I don't know her, but I, okay. I, but oh, you 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 yeah. knew of her, yes. and then she talked about yes. us. Yeah, we we were on a chat room, which actually no longer exists, sadly. But with a lot of doctors and people who wanted to speak out and couldn't, but a lot that were speaking out. And I was uh, there was a lady on there called Dr. Claire Craig. Yeah and, yeah, and she said, um, we're just talking about COVID, and she said, well, there's a protocol uh, which the FLCCC has. And then I contacted Tess, and her husband was co 
uh, kind enough to get back to me and they sent me the protocol for pre-COVID and when you have it, uh, because I don't know why, I just thought that'd be interesting, you know. So, and literally within uh, three weeks later, and, and I'd all, already ordered my ivermectin just by chance. <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, my, uh, Dr. Mike Yeadon was kind enough to, get, right. to give me a very good contact for that. And um, uh, so I, I ordered it. And so we already had it in the house when we both were uh, unwell with it. But uh, that's how we heard about the FLCCC. Yeah. So we were, we've been aware of it for well over a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I presume you followed the protocols? Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah we did to, to the letter. In fact, what we did is we did the uh, ivermectin to the body weight thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we did. We did that. Yeah. I took uh, curacetin, zinc, vitamin D, C, I think maybe there's another one. Lots of water, lots of rest. Yeah, Good I was off. Yeah, I was ill for five days. Rested but, for four. But now, wait, wait, now I have to ask the question: How did Richard end up in the hospital? None of my patients go to the hospital. Well, I, you I, to, did you? Was this pre-ivermectin knowledge, or I mean, you <laughs> asked about it? So you might no, have known something. What happened was because I was staying at Richard's at the time because I've had to be crashing at his a lot because flying is because uh, I've got a place in Spain and that's why well, I had a place in Spain and I saw I was commuting, but that. that lifestyle went wrong once COVID kicked in. Yeah. So I was staying at Richard's. I was upstairs. I heard this huge crash. And I thought, <laughs> what the hell was that? So I go downstairs. His, his bathroom door's locked. So I'm banging on it. And all I can hear is this moaning and groaning. So I go to get a hammer. I think I better break my way in. By which point he has found the door handle. I opened up the door. He's covered in blood, head to toe. Oh He's got God. a really, really bad cut on his head. <laughs> And my daughter's a doctor. So I phoned her up and I said, look, what, what do I do? She said, well, I would advise that you get these strips and you pull the wound together, make sure it's really clean. And then you call, you call a doctor. So that's what I did. Doctor came around. His oxygen levels were really low. Doctor didn't test him or me for COVID. He just said, I think your brother needs to go to hospital. His oxygen levels are too low. And that's when in, in hospitals where they tested him. So neither of us, neither of us have been to hospital Due to COVID, um, and that that gotcha. was another that was another piece of br brilliant British press that went out that we were both ill and gone to hospital, and, and I was screaming, "Give me the vaccine!" It's all bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you actually have doctors that come to the patient's house. Yes. Um, yes. Oh, that's yep. that's that that's prehistoric. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think in, in the United States, if you ask your primary care doctor to visit you at the house. I think he would send you for psychiatric. <laughs> yeah, but I have to say the NHS, for all its faults, when, when we both felt unwell with COVID, were very, very good. They were. Really good. And so were the ambulance service because the the um, what you do is you ring an NHS, uh, you ring an emergency number on the NHSS, on the NHS. They talk you through stuff. If they think you need to see a doctor, they allocate a doctor, which they did. If he thinks you need help in the hospital, they, they allocate you an ambulance. Um, through this whole last two and a half years, we've actually now fortunate enough to have a really good network around us of, of doctors who are on the same page as you. Yeah. And right. we have a close we have a close association. So we can go and get treatment and see them and talk to them very, very just face to face. And, and we get a pretty different narrative to the Fred, one can, that... Can they, can they write a script for uh, for ivermectin you can fill it at a pharmacy? Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> yeah, as far as I understand, ivermectin's been banned in the United Kingdom. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's considered sure it an 
an illicit drug that's not for human yeah. consumption. I think well, well, I think well, it's well, easier to get heroin in the UK yeah. than it yeah, is yeah, to yeah. get ivermectin. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's been a pleasure talking with you guys. Thank and, you. you too. You know, Thanks for having us. Very so, interesting. You know, it's so refreshing to speak to people that are actually informed, that are care, that have a passion, because, mm. you know, we're talking about humanity here. You yes, know, you are. We because, are. I agree with you. You know, the human suffering through this has been at an astronomical level. And it seems yeah. that most people just don't care. And so, no, you know, it's, it's really good to engage in, you know, and, and it seems like non-medical people get it. Yeah. Yes. yes. Well, we have the real live Fred <laughs> and here we are. Hi. Thank you. It's what nearly one o'clock in the morning where you are. So it is. We have a hard out. I know Pierre has to leave and you have to leave, but we do have a few questions for you. Go on. And let me let's take the first one from Joseph O'Donnell says for the Freds. How sexy is owning one's own body? Why were the 90s so much sexier than the 2020s? Until <laughs> your new song, at least. That's a good question. Well, there, yeah, there was there, there, seemed, there seemed to be more, um, I don't know, more freedom, if you like, more freedom of thought and movement. People tended to be a little bit more tolerant. Uh, that's how it felt to me at the time. Uh, the 80s were very hedonistic. That's yeah. That was our experience with yeah. the 80s. Uh, the 90s calmed down a bit, but still felt very free. And, 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 and to be honest with you, we, we got into training in, in the 80s I found it quite an addictive thing going to the gym. Um, I, I have depression, so I go to the gym. Really helped that magnesium really helped my depression. And um, yeah, that's kind of that, that's 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 it really. I didn't really think too much of it. Also, I think these. I think that you know the culture's changed. Yes, completely. Yeah, that's true. You know, we have this yeah. this cancel culture now, and uh, you you know you could get into real trouble for I don't know <laughs> doing almost anything. Also, I remember on top sorry. of on top of pops, I wore one top of pops episode. I wore a see-through body stocking it wasn't completely see-through in, in all the in, important places obviously but it was sort of see-through and just before we were due to do the song the, the production manager came out came out he said oh, I'm, I'm sorry but you can't wear that so i said what do you mean i can't wear that he said no 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 you can't wear that because you're a bloke <laughs> why can't i wear that because i'm a bloke he spotted, you a bloke. He spotted i was a bloke yeah. so a woman can go on madonna could go on and wear whatever she wants but at that time, and I'm guessing it's probably even worse now, I think it's a lot more conservative. I think we live in very conservative times. Also, just like I say, I think the selfie culture has made people much more self uh, given them self-importance. They're more aware of themselves and the space around them. Um, I, think that's, I think that's made people very selfish. Um, they, they, they're obsessed by there's an entitlement to fame and money through Instagram and, and other, other social media. And people take pictures of their food. <laughs> what are they doing? They take pictures of their food. They don't even eat it. They just it's there, and you'll see a whole table of people, you know, ten people around the table. Nobody's talking. Nobody's talking. They're all they're all on their phones. Mm. It's right. just uh, we went to a, we, we, we had we had to, we were um, hosting a, um, a a very small boutique uh, freedom festival down on the south coast, and um, there were low. It was a beautiful day. Loads and loads of kids there, all playing, and not one mobile phone. No. It was fantastic. Really good to see kids just being kids. No Communicating. No, playing. Yeah. Communicating, yeah. playing, you know. It was, it was really, really refreshing to see. Yeah. Here's a question. This is uh, for the Freds again. Do you think the narrative is starting to shift in the UK? What do you think comes next? 
I think it is starting to shift. I think there's a, um, I wouldn't say the wheels are coming off, but I think people are feeling braver. I think they're more open. We we noticed in this, in this just being around, you know, um, we used to people used to give us a bit of a. They used to do the COVID curve, the COVID <laughs> swerve with us. You know, don't talk to them. Yeah. Uh, and that's changed. We get people come out just in the street. We get a lot more messages about thank God we can now um, address this. There's a lot of people uh, we've met who were who did believe the narrative, and now they don't. The cost of living crisis has got, has got a lot to do with that in the UK. Mm. So I, I think there is a shift, yeah. Whether the globalist wheels are coming off, I, I, could, I, I, I don't know. Also, I think there's a lot more cynicism now. There's yes, a lot Bessie, more, yeah. I, I have a question for, for, for Fred and Richard. Yeah. So do you know any much about the Facebook group Died Suddenly News? I've it's, heard about this. I haven't. don't know much about it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a member of one of the pages. I'm not, I can't remember which one it is now because they keep getting taken down and then put up again. And they change their names slightly each time. I'm not sure which one I'm I've, I've joined. Yeah, but it seems to have grown, taken a lot of attention on Facebook. You know, apparently yes, it has. Yeah, yeah. yeah, people who have had personal experience with, with loss of a loved one, yes, are able to um, relate the, the experience. I, I agree. The staggering thing is the degree to which the hurt of loved ones is passed over. It's amazing to me how it just doesn't seem to register the people. For it's some people. so sad. It, it, so yes, sad. it's, it's it extraordinary is. to me. People will, so, you know, lose a, a loved one or a relative or they'll, they'll, you know, we know one guy who's lost the use of one arm. And it's just, uh, it's oh, well, it, it's, it's a shoulder shrugging move it, on. It, it's, Sorry, it, it's, it's, it's just a bizarre thing that happened and it happens to some people. You yeah. know, Fred Richard, that question that Paul asked, like as to, or the other person asked, as to whether things are uh, changing in the UK. Yeah. Are you guys aware that the UK, on their governmental websites, this past like 10 days, very quietly changed a couple of things. Number one, they inserted new language, whereas before they were promoting vaccinations in the pregnant uh, women. Yeah. Now their official statement, quietly, no fanfare, no media, yeah. says... We do not have safety data on pregnancy, which implies they don't recommend it. And then they went even further this week. They up they updated their guidance. They they said they are no longer offering the program of vaccination to five to eleven year olds. These to me are monumental shifts. Now they're occurring under the table. Has that been talked about in the UK in the press or the media? Has anyone noticed or brought that to attention? It's it's not a big deal in the press. No, you know, it shouldn't be the way, but. I rely on a lot of social media to, to get links yep. to, dif- to different conversations. And yep. there, there was one today, which is um, on a government website. It talks about Agenda 2030 and its relationship with World Economic Forum. It's got it on the government website. It's extraordinary. Um, you know, um, British government welcomes with open arms <laughs> the World Economic Forum. I mean, and we still have um, daytime presenters on TV and radio saying the World Economic Forum is a conspiracy theory. It's extraordinary. We do have one or two journalists over here who are, have, who have been, Alison Pearson in the Telegraph, yeah. um, has been poking the bear a little bit. But generally speaking, um, the, the media has been extraordinarily compliant. We're, it we're, really has. There's a new TV station started, I think about 12 months ago, called yeah. GB News. Yeah. And they are giving license to some of their presenters to be fairly yes. con- confrontational to the narrative. Yeah, they are. There's Mark Stein, Mark 
Dolan, Dan Wooden, they're, they're being quite, they're given, they're, they're being given quite a lot of um, freedom to speak, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, exactly. We, Sorry. we have a very good question here from uh, Carla Carpenter, who says, we know musicians and celebrities have huge social sway. Are there any musicians organizing to support spike injured patients like a farm aid type event? No, not that I know. Yes, uh, it, it, yeah, it, it, it is a good idea. I mean, we're actually in conversation. How about the, the four of us do it, Fred? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's an actor called John Bow, um, and he has yeah, a. I a know vaccine. John. Yeah, yes. he has. Yeah, he's excellent. Yes, he is. Excellent. And yeah, has a, a vaccine injury um, yeah. page. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing is, is I mean, what what gets gets me? It's like an awareness thing. If you if we didn't have social media as we do, can you imagine what we wouldn't know? Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, if the, if we'd had social media in 1914, what do you reckon the take-up would have been in the trenches? <laughs> yeah. Not not hey, that Richard, much. Richard, what you just said is so important because as much as we have fought against the censorship and the restrictions on social media, it's so vast and diverse and global. If you're looking. Critically, you find really important data that we would never yes. have been able to come upon. And so so it, it really has been the double-edged sword. I don't know which side of the sword has been worse, mm. but I totally agree with you. I yeah. learned so much, especially in early COVID, about really important factoids because you could tell who was real. Like if a doctor like posted something that he had found, like some good clinical feedback, mm. I, I knew what to pay attention to. So I, I think your point is really excellent because mm. social media has both, I'm sorry, led to many deaths. Yes. But it has also been a forum where you could get to good information if you listen yeah, carefully. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Sorry, sorry. I have coming. one last question because we are we're hitting the time slot and we have okay. a video you've got to see. Okay. So you guys have to, you know, turn into pumpkins. Here we are. <laughs> This is a question from Sarah says, can you explain the meaning of the opening music video that was played? Oh, okay. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, that's easy. Um, it, we, we wrote and re uh, released that earlier this year. Um, and it's basically, it's called Godsend because, and loving is a Godsend because through all this, you know, the hate online and the animosity, friends and family have been a cornerstone. And without their without their support and love, it would have been very, very difficult. So, uh, and also the song's a little bit about our life on social media, which is why the opening lyric is, I me, mean, I've got a lot to say, what the fuck do I know? Um, and that's, and that is, that's pretty much- you know, Pretty much how we feel sometimes. Yeah, pretty much how, 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 we, how we feel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's a journey from dark to light as well. It, it is. The video is meant to be depressing. It's meant to be that journey. And at the end is color and- Yes, you know, happy things. Happy things, yeah. Well. I have a couple of important announcements and then we're going to have a happy video. Okay. <laughs> you will love your, one of your greatest hits uh, with a surprise person dancing. Nevertheless, um, if you have to jump, we thank you so, so much That's for being with us, but here we go, folks. Uh, okay. you know, thank you to Fred and Richard for being oh, with us. First of all, we don't want you to leave without doing something whether you live in California or just don't want their so-called medical misinformation bill to spread to your state, our team urges you to write Governor Newsom and tell him to right. protect physicians' freedom of speech to veto the bill known as AB 2098. Uh, right. Now then, don't forget, 
to sign up for our first ever medical conference. on It's coming up in October. Dr. Ryan Cole, a leading pathologist, will be there to discuss what he sees, some pretty shocking stuff, the molecular and immunological pathogenesis of spike-induced disease. Mm -hmm. And also now, folks, if you're planning to attend, note the deadline to reserve a room in the FLCCC discounted room block at the Grayford Palms Resort and Convention Center is next Friday, uh, September 16th. After that, the discount no longer will be in effect and there may be no rooms available. So you better do what you have to do and get on with it. Now then, another doctor who's gonna be at that conference will be our own wonderful Dr. Bean, who has a new long story short podcast coming up Friday on how to maximize autophagy. You can catch that at flccc.net slash Dr. Bean. Now we just wanna make a quick thank you to our wonderful nurses who have been answering your questions all throughout the program. We have Christina Moros and Scott Rogers and Pamela Burnham who volunteered their time to answer your questions here throughout the program. I don't know if we have a spotlight on them to at least give a wave, great people, wonderful, yeah. talented people. <laughs> yeah. And finally, we thank all of you who help us every day with your donations. As we have said before, we can't do this without you. And that's the truth. You help us help doctors, nurses, and patients to stay well, follow the science, and take control of their health. And now for some fun. Right, so, Ted Fred's biggest so, hit song. So Betsy. Yes. Betsy. Yeah. Can I can I just set this up a little bit to give some sure. context? Okay. <laughs> so, w- without stealing the thunder and the and the fun and the surprise, uh, <laughs> what you all are about to see is a music video um, by a long beloved musical group, which will be interrupted with clips of uh, someone who shall rename uh, remain unnamed for coming. now, uh, okay. who is also dancing. And I will tell you those clips of that person dancing comes from their own music video they made to the same song. And that music video was shot because that person, again, who shall remain unnamed, um, received a gift of designer clothes that he was never going to wear in any circumstance. And so as a thank you to the person who sent him those designer clothes, he wore them and he shot a music video to a certain song. So with that, with that introduction, <laughs> I, uh, I think you guys should enjoy it's this. I'm going to send the link. I'm going to put in the, the link uh, in the chat to the original. Uh, I'm just going to say Corey family music video. And you right. guys can enjoy the original as well as our, our modern mashup version with the awesome group, right? Said Fred, who will, you guys are now my favorite musicians, okay? Period. Hands Thank down. Uh, end of story. Thank you. Thank you very much. Enjoy. Thank you. You will. I'm too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave me.
Catwalk. 